It's Thursday again, tell everybody to lock in Grab some popcorn, a drink, and go and throw your AirPods in It's a one-hour show, constantly speaking facts Bulletproof stats are always shooting from Matt And when it comes to Kyle, you getting numbers and style Jake is gonna educate you, he has that knowledge on fire Player, step your game up, don't be sluggish or lazy Or Jimmy J might hit you with a shaky baby Catch him on YouTube or any podcast platform Breaking all the news down like Shaq does the backboards No hot takes, this is where the hottest debate's at Now kick your feet up, cause it's time for straight facts What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains, brought to you by the Up On Game Presents Network. It's my guys, Kyle Sirik and Stat Matt Robinson. I'm James Jackson. No Jake Galley had prior engagements for tonight. We forgive him, but he's going to miss a heck of an episode, yo, because it's it's NBA Finals time, uh, the time that we've been waiting for all playoffs. Uh, Warriors, Celtics is going to be a good time, but First of all, before we get into it, gotta say what's up to my guys, Kyle and Matt. What's going on with y'all? Yo, and yo, you know what's funny, James, is if you remember last year when we did this, uh, the first show for the finals, it was just me and you when you were in yeah, Florida. So I was actually, in Orlando, right. Actually, I have Matt here for a uh, finals type of preview episode. We're going to talk about it a little more. It's actually mm-hmm. an upgrade. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really like, excited. Um, I'm rec- I recovered from yesterday at work. I had a woman scream at me. Because she couldn't remember her own password to her email, <laughs> like so. And well, how that, dare you? Well, how that, dare you? That's my pet peeve. When customers get mad at me over stuff that they, it's their fault. You don't know your passwords. Yeah. That's your fault. I can't help you. I don't know your passwords. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so today, uh, I'm I'm really excited for the NBA Finals, even though I the Celtics are in it. I really am not letting myself think that the Celtics can win. So I'm still I'm I could be just a denial stage, but yeah, you're you're fooling yourself. I mean, well, let's let's yeah, let's get right into it then. Let's get right into it before before we before you start the discussion. Before the discussion, we have a fact straight at you. You we all know about the Celtics defense, right? Number one defense in the NBA in a regular season has been one of the best defenses in the playoffs, but not many people know or not many people talk about Golden State being also ranked number two in defensive rating through the 2021-2022 NBA season. So the number one and number two defenses coming into the playoffs, they've also been playing like that. So we'll frame the the finals in this kind of talk. We'll talk about like how both these teams got here and then how they match up with each other. But I think how they got to this point is really important to see how they're going to play in the finals once matched up with one another. So first We'll go with the Warriors path and like it's been it's been vintage Warriors. Like it really has been vintage Warriors this playoffs. And I don't even know if I realized it until I think Matt pointed it out a couple episodes ago of like they're getting back that they they're remembering that they don't lose in the playoffs. That's the exact words you said, Matt. You said they're remembering that they don't lose in the playoffs. And I look I'm like, holy crap, they're really not losing. 4-1 against the Nuggets in the first round, 4-2 against the Grizzlies, and they really could have made it 4-1. They were just, you know, really nice about it. And then <laughs> 4-1 to the Mavericks, again, could have could have swept them, but, you know, just really nice about it. So they're really forgetting that. that <laughs> forgetting also could have swept, in the, could have swept uh, the Nuggets. They were up 3-0. They they could have done it to everything. Yeah. They're just they're mm-hmm. nice about it, to be honest. They really could have swept everyone. They're nice about it. But let's let's talk about it. We could start with the defense because that's what's not been highlighted from a lot of people. And 
we know that Draymond, you know, is is that's what he stamps his game of. But the Warriors have really stamped or started their game plan on the defensive end this year. Yeah, I just yeah, think I, yeah. yeah, I just think the versatility yeah. they have making them match up with uh, how they match up with Boston really is a big advantage for Golden State because if you look at how Boston kind of played, um, especially in the Bucks and Heat series. They were hunting for mismatches all the time. They kept hunting, um, <clears throat> trying to get Grayson Allen, and it worked. They kept hunting, trying to get Struss or here or a hobbled hero when he was playing, or hmm. uh, blanking. So there's what a, Lowry because he was hurt too, um, and he was. They kept hunting, and you can't do that with this Warriors team. Poole is clearly the weakest link, but when you have someone like Wiggins and someone like Green, that versatility where they can guard the point guard, Peyton Pritchard, they can guard Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, and they can guard um, Robert Williams or Al Horford. So it's just the fact that they have that, they can pre-switch before Boston is able to hunt them, and I think that's such an advantage for them. Yeah, they've also, um, what I've been really impressed about is they're playing, I mean, I call it playing the numbers in a way. Um, obviously, the mid-range game is not dead, as you like to remind us. Um, yeah. but they're don't, letting, let them, don't let them tell you it is. Don't let them they're letting opponents take those shots and really locking down the three-point line and the paint a lot more. If you look at the percentages um, that teams are shooting the ball, the Warriors have been letting the third most in these playoffs mid-range field goals. And, and that's just knowing what you do. And when you add in the versatility of all these different guys and how, you know, Clay can switch on Draymond's matchup and Jordan Poole can switch on Wiggins matchup. And it doesn't really matter who's guarding who. Um, bringing that to the playoffs has been really understated. And one other thing that's been understated for the defense is Gary Payton's probably going to come back in these finals. Mm-hmm. And um, I think personally, he's going to be one of the I think they're going to stick the rotation to probably eight people. But I think Gary Payton is going to be cemented as one of those eight people. And just having that spark plug on defense only elevates their defense as this series goes anyway. So, Well, he comes back as a player who who primarily focuses on the defensive end. So he just adds to that defensive identity that, that the Warriors have brought out in these playoffs. But I think in something added to that defensive mindset for the Warriors is Steph Curry has been stepping it up on defense. He doesn't have a crazy amount of stats. There's not a crazy amount of steals or blocks or anything, but you see the effort on the defensive end. I mean, he did make, you know, a big, a big block or big deflection on Jalen Brunson in the corner to end game five and pretty much seal it for the Warriors. So, and, and you see, you heard the one reporter in the one press conference call him a two-way player. And he kind of like, you know, his, his eyes lit up and he was like, well, that, 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 thank you. No one's ever called me a two-way player before. But people are, are noticing him stepping up on the defensive end. Um, now, I say that with the caveat of looking at his matchups through the playoffs, he hasn't had juggernauts at point guard, right? And Monte Morris a lot in the first round. And then you get Campazo and stuff like that. And then you go to the second round and you face no jaw. So you face DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain, and you're able to switch off a lot. There's no electrifying poor card you have to deal with. And then you go and play Jalen Brunson, who just got done dealing with Chris Paul for seven games. He's tired, and he's still a young pup, and you're in the conference finals. You're Steph Curry. You know how to do this. So Marcus Smart is a whole different matchup for him. 
So that that's going to test the Warriors' limits a little bit on defense, at least Steph Curry's limits on defense, because I don't think you can hide as much. And when you're faced with that matchup at the point guard position, Marcus Smart is going to make sure Steph Curry works on the defensive end. So that's going to be interesting to see. But Steph has stepped it up on defense. But also for the Warriors, too, getting back to what we're traditionally used to seeing them do is on the offensive end, they're back to being the best distributing team, the best assisting team in the NBA, the most assist in these playoffs, and it's not even close. Um, they have 28.3 assists per game. The second best in these playoffs is 25.7. League average is 22.8, and, and they're at 28. So they're blowing out these margins, and that is another hallmark of a Warriors team that we saw dominate the NBA is, like, they have prolific scores. They have guys you know is going to get off, but they're, the ball does not stick. The ball's not going in one player's hands. It's moving all around the court, and now it's different guys contributing. Like, now yeah. we see Andrew Wiggins stepping up for him and Jordan Poole stepping up for him, Jonathan Kamingo when he's healthy. And that's what you get when you move a rock like that. Like, you get other players to step up. It's been super impressive. And so they're leading the playoffs and scoring, scoring almost 115 points a game. And if you look at this Warriors team in the regular season, um, their pace is like middle of the pack in the league. And they've been mm. they've had the fifth highest pace in these playoffs, but it's so impressive to have the most points per game when your pace isn't necessarily the highest. And it's because of how sound they have been on offense. Another underrated guy I want to point out who only takes four shots a game in these playoffs is Kevon Looney. Um, talk about a guy that knows his role on the team. He has been so mm-hmm. solid for them offensively and defensively. Only four shots a game, but shooting it at almost 70%. Um, and just having a guy like that, they, you don't need to do anything, but he's going to do way more than you need him to anyways. And it's just so solid right. there to round out your starting rotation. I mean, these guys are clicking on a just different level right now. And unless there is some sort of scoring drought from the greatest shooter of all time and, you know, Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole and, and our 19 <laughs> and our 19 points per game, uh, wizard Andrew Wiggins. I mean, yeah, unless yeah, there's some yeah. sort of drought here, I expect that to continue too, even against the Celtics defense. Yeah, and yes, I'm actually sir. really glad you said that. Hold on, I'm actually really glad you said that um, about Kevon Looney. One, he did have his his game. He had his one game in the Dallas series, got his shine. Um, yep. But something I heard Sue Bird actually say on J.J. Reddick's podcast, on Old Man in the Three, and she said it's it's so hard for a role player like to, to be a role player and play that role so well. Because mm-hmm. you're coming into the NBA and you're used to being the guy everywhere and doing so much, and – it's so hard to ask guys to minimize themselves into perfecting a couple of things on the court. And she's like, what you get is what you get in that role. Like Steph Curry, no matter how many shots he misses, he's going to get extra shots. Kavon Looney, those four shots he gets a game, those are the shots he's going to get. If he happens to come upon seven, eight, nine shot attempts a game, we'll go for him. But those four to five shot attempts, that's what you're going to get. So do the most with those, shoot about a 70% clip and make sure you're impacting the game elsewhere, which he always does. And those, that's, those are the players you win a championship with. Like yep. th- those are the invaluable players and the Warriors find them everywhere. Kevon Looney's been, you know, kind of a veteran statesman with the Warriors at this point, but there's a reason he sticks around. There's a reason yeah, he gets that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing too. He's been yeah, to that's... two finals with them already. And, and, yeah. and you look at the foundational pieces of this team that's been the finals and it's only four guys. It's it's mm-hmm. Clay, it's Steph, it's Draymond, and it's Kevon Looney. And I guess you can throw Iguodala in there, even though he's not playing much on this run. Maybe we'll see more of him in the finals, but that's it. So, so I mean, that mm-hmm. experience, I think, tapping into 
has just been great for him. And I agree with you being a role player where you don't know what you're going to be asked to do every night because you're just Mm kind of out there. A lot of guys fall back in that role and Kevon Looney is elevated in that role. It seems like in this playoffs. It's a great point. Honestly, that's a Steve Kerr. Like that's where we got to give him his props. These entire tenure with the Warriors has been filled with role players being huge players for them, whether it be Leandro Barbosa, whether it be Sean Livingston, whether it be Andrew Boga, whether it be Festus Azili. There's just so many people who had their moments of shine. And honestly, from an offensive standpoint, Draymond, he's he's in that mold because he only gets like, unless he's really hot, he only shoots six to eight shots a game too. So it's just such great coaching and making the, and being so much about the team winning and not uh, everything else and not at all like the, Oh, I didn't get my shots. Like a Lou Williams mm-hmm. wouldn't work on golden state. Now you're coming in and pulling. And if he misses, he pulling again. And, but, but that's what you want from sweet Lou. So you don't, you, you know, <laughs> you're exactly right. But listen to those names you talked about for Steve Kerr and the other guys, Leandro Barbosa had a, an impressive tenure as a young in, and then kind of fell back in his career a little bit, revitalized it with the Warriors. Andrew Bogut, number one pick, right? Revitalized career with the Warriors. Sean Livingston, horrific leg injury. Revitalized career, really with the Nets, but a really revitalized career with the Warriors. And then now, Andrew Wiggins, a number, another number one overall pick. A guy who, who uh, people wanted to label bust. People wanted to, to say he was done, was not going to live up to it. All-star starter, albeit however you want to you want to debate it, you could debate it. But all-star starter this year, but what you cannot debate is now his impact on what is a championship run, a title run. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if there's a pattern there. I'm not sure if anyone's ever even realized that pattern. But Steve Curry's ability, like Bill Belichick-esque, to find guys who have stepped back in their career, quote-unquote lost it to some people, and say, you, you come work in this system. If we minimize your role and you perfect the things you do well, you're going to work in this system. And he's done it with, there's probably more people I'm still leaving on the table. Yeah, I'd actually, on. I'd want to throw in, even and I know oh. he started there, and this was the foundation for someone that's made a great NBA career was Harrison Barnes as yeah, well, was a valuable key starter in some God, of those God, finals. And you see, you see how good he's been on the Mavericks and the Kings. I mean, albeit yeah. not winning teams, but he's been a valuable piece on those teams too, and his foundation came from this Warriors squad. And yeah. and you can't tell me that Andrew Wiggins isn't just playing the Harrison Barnes role better, which is just another reason why I think the Warriors are so solid at this point. I mean, when they got Andrew Wiggins, I think that immediately – I think people saw Harrison Barnes. Like, yeah. like they got Andrew Wiggins, they're like, oh, that's that's their Harrison Barnes replacement right there. Harrison Barnes was never an all-star starter. People no. wanted to argue he was an all-star, but he yeah. never even got, even got invited he to was, the weekend. He was a 12-point-per-game third, fourth option. And, and, and Harrison and Barnes is moments, just a better version of that. Yeah, You know what I mean? A, a, a moments player yep. was Harrison Barnes. He gave you big moments in the finals. He had a couple big shots in those finals. Mm-hmm. But a moments player. Andrew More Wiggins than 2015 is, is, than 2016. 2016 is yeah, kind of the true. reason they lost. But but, but Andrew Wiggins is a moment. That, he was a keep. Without him, they don't win a ring. So that's it just right. shows. And he was you the know? eighth pick in the draft. He was their lottery pick. And he like he was going to be like the face of the franchise-ish because Curry wasn't healthy at that point. Draymond was a second rounder. Clay wasn't really Clay. 
and he relegated himself to the fourth player and got himself a ring, uh, a, a starter on the best regular season team ever, and a giant contract in return. So yeah, worked out for everyone. Thank you. Yeah, th- thank you, Steve Kerr. Harrison Barnes forever saying thank you to Steve <laughs> Kerr and the Warriors. All right, there is actually another team in these finals. So enough with the Warriors' admiration because they do actually have to play another team on the other side of the ball and a team who's more than earned it. You talk about the Boston Celtics. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm going to be a hater. Mean, Finish your point. We're just going to hate on the Celtics. I don't even want to. Good, because my point's going to shut down whatever eh you got, you might have coming because you look at their road, one of the most impressive sweeps to me in NBA history or one of the the most disappointing sweeps in NBA history, depending where you're looking at it, 4-0 to the Nets. Then they go back-to-back seven-game series, beating the defending champs, the Bucs 4-3, and then now the Miami Heat beating them in seven games, 4-3, and it lands them toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors um, in the finals. And, Matt, before you start hating, strategically hate. Like, don't don't just come in and blanket and it just, it just kind of rain on, on the Celtics parade right now. Things fell their way. I'm not going to b- b- besmirch anything they did to the Nets. I got to. Um, I just think that just shows the Nets were inept. That's not – I've got, like, negative for the Nets, not pro-Celtics. Okay. But it's not like I'm not going to, like, criticize that. That's – Great. Well, what do you uh, what do you mean things fell their way? Uh, I'll, I'll get to it. So Chris Middleton injured. They win right. in seven against Milwaukee. They don't win in seven if Chris Middleton's healthy. Against Miami, right. Tyler Hero's injured. Kyle hmm. Lowry's injured. Hmm. Butler's playing injured. Look, hmm. and and they really almost choke one of the worst chokes ever in Game Seven. Hmm. And they get like and it, it's worked out for them this playoffs. And I just think. Uh, they're finally playing a team at full strength with great chemistry. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to show, I don't think it's going to be like, I'm not going to give like my prediction, but I don't think it's going to be like an easy series, but I think it's definitely going to be a step up of competition compared to who they've played. And, and, and to our listeners, we will get to the Celtics stats. We will get to why they got here, but I have to address what Matt just put on the table right now. Because if we're going to talk about injuries, let's talk about both sides of the coin now. Because the, the Celtics were healthy. Jason Tatum, scary injury. Marcus Smart, missed time. Robert Williams, in out of the lineup. Al Horford, missed time the whole time. And then if you're looking at the Warriors, things the things didn't fall the Warriors' way. They get to play a Nuggets team in the first round who got one player. And the rest of, the rest of their, their supporting pieces are hurt. Then you go to the second round, and, and who did they not have to see? John Morant. And then you go to the the, the conference finals, and instead of having to face a guy in Chris Paul who's been a pest in Steph Curry's ear every time they play in the playoffs, you get to now play another team who's got one player. And your matchup is Jalen Brunson, who just got off a seven-game series with said Chris Paul. So, like, things got to fall everybody's no, no, way. Got, You're going on a title fair, run, fair, man. Like, like, like things fall yeah, your way. No, no, that's really fair. But to me, it's like if I – I've seen the Warriors do it before. So, like, the fact that they had fortunate no job Morant, the fact that they avoided Phoenix, uh, like, that's that that would be a really good argument if they if go I hadn't seen them, every... if I hadn't seen them do it before. But they've, they're have they a dominant team throughout NBA history. We've talked about this last week. Right. The Celtics are a team that haven't quite gotten there. Congratulations on getting there. That's incredible. I would kill for the Sixers. Making NBA finals. Well, that's what this is rooted in. 
That's but, what this is rooted yeah, in. But I, I can thing. go back. But like, I go I, back I, every year. People I go are, back every year, Matt, and and and, and list the things that fell that that team's way to get to the title. No, 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 every right. single year, and it's mostly I, injuries. But I could do that. I know. Also, but well, I, I think when you win Matt, in seven, right, it's got a bigger. Like you got Kyle. I was gonna say that your original point though had nothing to do with the Warriors. You were discrediting this Celtics playoff run. And by my count, they went through the three other top favorites in the Eastern Conference to do it while they were injured, as James was saying. So I don't think you can discredit this. And the other side of the coin is just in comparison that yeah, the Warriors had an easy ride here. We're not saying that the Warriors didn't catch a break. And, and and that reflects badly on them. We know that they could do it, and you're right. Like we've seen them do it before. They're expected to be here. But the Celtics went through every single tough opponent. They could have drew anyone else in the East, but instead they had to face the three other top favorites, and they did what they needed to do. So I mean, you can't control who's hurt on the other team. They did what they needed to do, and they did have injuries themselves. I, I agree with James on this. Well, let's talk about let's talk about what they did because Matt's obviously wrong. We don't want to spend too much time on that. But like, but <laughs> but but let's talk about what they did because first thing you talk about, Kyle, that getting through that path is just being a well coached team. They haven't lost back to back games in these entire playoffs. They've and sustained some, we'll say, weather some storms. They they've had leads in pretty much all of these series, pretty much except the Nets series that. They've went up big in these games and either lost it completely or hung on by a thread. And it almost met, like you said, cost them the Miami series when they did it in uh, in game seven. So like this is this is still a team who who knows how to go through the gauntlet and give Ime Doka his credit at being a first year head coach, getting him through this run. But I think that says a lot for the culture he's been able to establish that in his first tenure, he's getting the most out of his players like this. No, you made Adoka. I'm not going to besmirch him at all. I just the Celtics in general. If I have a chance to hate on them a bit, I'm going to do it. That's just that's just okay. But, but what did you get about like the? Let's talk about like actually the how like how do you guys think they're going to match up with Golden State? Like how do you think I mean, they're going to? How do you this think is, that's going to play is, out? I think for Golden State, I think this is a matchup that they haven't seen all playoffs because the Celtics are are one of the most, if not the most physical team in these playoffs. And I think the other team that you can label most physical was the Heat, and they took them out. So this is the most physical team that Golden State could match up with. And I think a lot of teams use different methods to try to fight the three-point barrage or the offensive barrage that the Warriors you know, can hit you with. But I don't think many have been able to hit it with the physicality that, that Boston can hit it with. Like, I think Boston can really make life tough for Steph Curry and company. I think he can get some people in foul trouble. Like, I think they can really do things that other defense just weren't defenses just right. weren't able to do against Golden State. And That's for, what I see. Yeah, I agree. And for as much as we talk about how the Warriors can switch everything and the Warriors have this really sound defense, Boston's the same way, if not better, in terms of, you know, they don't even have a true point guard. But they have a guy right. who can defend a point guard perfectly, and they have mm-hmm. guys that can switch on. So I think you look at the Warriors' offense, and a lot of their offense comes from you know high screens and off ball screens and off ball movement. And I think if mm-hmm. there's a team that can you know line up with that, it's really the Celtics. To be honest, this is I think the matchup is pretty solid both ways. And I think for as low scoring as we saw the. Eastern Conference Finals with the Celtics and the Heat, two good, a uh, good 
defensive matchup like that. I think the Heat or the Celtics are actually coming in to maybe a possibility of the same type of matchup. Obviously, Golden State gives you more on the offensive side, but they've been in these gritty, tight defensive games already that I could see some of these games in the finals turning into. So I like the matchup for Boston too. I uh, I just I think it's going to come down to I think a lot of I think the games are going to be low scoring and close I like like everyone basically mm-hmm. and I yeah. think I think Golden State's going to make sure if they're going to leave a guy open it's going to be Grant Williams and Grant Williams has been very he shot thirty four percent from three for the regular season but he's been twenty five percent for the playoffs and at the end of that Heat series he was like afraid to shoot like he was hesitating he was not in the right mind. If he doesn't get like his confidence that the in in practice, and you tell him when you're open and we give the ball to you behind the three point line, shoot it. If he doesn't get in the shooting rhythm, then I think they're really going to struggle because I don't think Golden State's role players have that worry at all. I think they're locked and ready to go, um, and I'm I'm not fully there with Boston's role players. Yeah, it's tough because. When you saw Grant Williams take that step back, I think you saw Kyle's guy, Derek White, take that step up. And so yep. if, if I'm looking for production, I guess, yeah, I would like to see all players produce in their role. But I think you're going to get a certain level of offensive output when you're talking about the Boston Celtics. So if one guy's production goes down and I see another guy's production go up, that just tells me how good of a team the Celtics are. One guy is able to see where where his team is being deficient and step up like Derek White had an amazing game six and game seven. And they probably don't win those games, especially game six. They probably don't, they probably don't get back in that series, you know, without Derek White. So like I think it was it was invaluable to have somebody like that. And like you wanted to point out the guy who's doing the most in his role for the Warriors, Kyle. I think this is the guy that's doing the most in his role for the Celtics. And he's been doing it, like you said, since the trade deadline. So, yeah, like, I, I, it's just it's really good for them, man. I, they got, I, I mean, I can see it. a ton of dudes that stuff. I also want to throw Horford into that conversation, too. A guy doing for the most for his role. I mean, just amazing. Well, going back to the matchup, so there's one more thing just keying in on, because obviously both teams are great defensively and very consistent offensively. I see one spot to where the Warriors could have some trouble on the defensive side, and it's if Jalen Brown does what he did in the last series. If he's able to be this very efficient score, 24 game, he shot 48% from the field, over 42% from three, a very efficient second option. They're going to have problems with the offensive output that him and Jason Tatum can supply together. Because you can throw Draymond on Tatum. I agree. But I'm worried that if Jalen Brown comes in with another good series, that the Warriors are going to have defensive problems there. A hundred percent in my mind. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I think, I think it needs to happen. Like that's yeah. that's Jalen Brown has now set that standard, especially because we're not getting thirty to thirty five a game. Jason Tatum, we're actually getting about twenty five to twenty six. They're actually like right neck and neck. We're yeah. scoring at least they were last series. They, you know, Jason Tatum wasn't above and beyond <laughs> Jalen Brown. So I think it's more important for Jalen Brown to keep that standard. Yeah. Than it is for Jason Tatum Definitely. to go back up to the, the 30 to 35. Like they got to keep that pace and keep the defensive identity. Like it's it's one of two ways. If these games go high scoring, Boston can't outpace Golden State. But if yeah. these games stay low scoring and stay physical, I think Boston can out muscle Golden State. Because um, because yeah. what's lost in like when you win, so no one talks about it, 
And I promise I'm not trying to hate. I'm actually making a point. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. I know what you're about to say. It's it's a, like the Heat's offensive rating in the series would have been the worst offensive rating in the NBA this year. So when you mm. hold a team to that, your def- defense is that good. Um, and so it's the worst offense in the NBA you're playing against, essentially, is what you've relegated into. And you still barely win the series. That means mm-hmm. that your offense... And not is it's not like it's bad, but it's not clicking. And like we talked about at the beginning, Golden State's defense was number two in defensive rating in the NBA. And I think, I think, just because Boston's defense will cause Golden State problems, I think it's going to be the same the other way. Uh, Jason mm-hmm. Tatum has turned the ball over more than any other player this postseason, and that's eighteen times more than anyone else. And with Draymond <laughs> on him, that's going to be tough for them to kind of they they you can't win when you turn the ball over that much against a team mm-hmm. like Golden State who will kill you in transition. Kill you. What, and one of the best teams in comport, converting points off of turnovers. You just can't give them extra possessions. And that, that's a worrisome spot um, if you're the Celtics for sure. And, and another kind of worrisome spot for them. It, it kind of goes alongside what you were saying with being barely able to, to eke out these games is like when when – the ball when the offense started sputtering for the Celtics in the Heat series, they threw all of the not all of their, but they threw a lot of their attention to their defensive identity. Now we have to get physical. Now we have to beat them up. Now Bam can't see any looks. Now Jimmy can't see any looks. Marcus Smart came back, made it his personal vendetta to to shut Jimmy Butler down in the series. Kind of did it for a little bit, and then Jimmy got off again. But it, it was it was back to defense and against Golden State. Like yes, defense can be your identity. But you have to like address your offense not clicking. Like I don't think I think if your offense isn't clicking, I don't think you can go strictly defensive minded because I think that's a trap. Like if if you try to limit Golden State like that and you don't get your offense back going, you're you're very susceptible just to get run out the gym. So Boston's got to put their their you know their focus back to getting their offense back to what it can be because they were the best defensive team in the NBA in the regular season, but they weren't a, they were never a bad offensive team. Like, it's not like their defense carried them through the playoffs. I mean, Jason Tatum was still top five, top ten in the league and scoring. So, you know, you still have to get back to that. I think a lot of it falls. Now that I'm talking, a lot of it probably falls on Jason Tatum, right? Yeah. Yeah. He has to be um, consistent every game. Uh, of course, it's a seven-game series, and we know the NBA, um, in contrast to the NFL, to where you can't have a bad game in the playoffs, you know, you can get away with one in the NBA. So mm. Jason Tatum can maybe afford to have one bad game and chalk up the L there, but he's going to have to be very consistent and like very elevated, like maybe a 40 point game or two mixed into here. Right. For like Boston to really elevate. Um, I like Matt's point. What he said about um, the not clicking, um, like clearly they weren't clicking enough. Uh, they still won the heat series, did what they needed to do, but Matt is right there. That if you have you hold a team to the worst offensive rating in the league, um, in over the span of that series, if they're not clicking like this, um, that that is probably the most worrisome thing for Boston offensively right now. Because yeah. you're not going to hold the Warriors to that. You can play great defensively. You can hold the Warriors to 100 points in a game, but you still need to win that game. And and there's games where Boston didn't even reach 100 points in this playoff. Mm-hmm. So, so I do I re- I do want to say one thing for Matt because I know we've been kind of against him on some of his points here. I, I I think that is a true worry spot right now for Boston fans. 
No, that's a great point. Because you say that right now, 100 points, I don't think gets you any win against the, the Warriors. Or right. something crazy happened. Something contextual happened. Someone got hurt. Someone had a historically bad shooting night. But you would need that from three or four people on their team. You'd need a historically bad night from Steph, Clay, and Andrew Wiggins for that to happen. Like, I don't, I don't see a game in which you win. Like, this isn't the Heat. This isn't Jimmy Butler scoring, you know, 60% of their points. This is a team who three people on any given night could give you 30. So I do think like 100, 110, maybe bare minimum for the Celtics to pull these I'm games interested up. to see what the Warriors do with their rotations too. Um, obviously, Steph and those guys are going to play 40, but you still need to pull one or two or even three guys off the bench over the span of a game. And they've been really inconsistent with that in these playoffs. We've seen them go small, which you could do mm-hmm. against the Celtics. And Moses Moody logged a game with 17 minutes off the bench. And then the very next game, Jonathan Kaminga came off three DMPs and played 21 minutes. So, (laughs) so, I mean, there's different rotation pieces here that I'm going to be interested to see what the Warriors do with as well. Maybe it won't have the biggest impact on the series, but I think Boston's rotation is pretty set. Um, I think what can change is like how many minutes do you give Grant Williams compared to Derek White, but that's about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm interested to see what the Warriors do off the bench because you can't play Looney more than like 25 minutes. Their their bench pieces are a little... (laughs) More important than Boston. If he beaten them, if he beaten them up, if he yeah. beaten them up, you can. And, and traditionally, I, you know, Steve I, Kerr isn't afraid. Go ahead. I agree with you, James. Um, and it was actually shocking to me when I looked at it. Looney's only averaging twenty minutes a game in these playoffs, and, and he's yeah, been they, so good when he's been on the floor. But the fact of the matter is, he's not going to play more than twenty five over the course of this series. Well, they they go small, quick, and yeah. they they're, they're trying to outrun teams. But we know traditionally, Steve Kerr isn't afraid to go deep in his bench. He's done it in the playoffs. He's done it many times before. So we might see it again. But the the rotation part is a good um a good topic because Matt, you talked about the kind of the role players. We were talking about a little bit a lot of the role players for both teams. And that's interesting because both teams present a good package of bench players slash role pieces. And if you had to choose of maybe not which team's role players you'd rather have, which team's role players you think are going to produce better as a whole. We talk about the Celtics role players of Derek White, Grant Williams, um, Rob Williams, um, you know, players like that. And then you go to the Warriors side of, you know, Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, Kevon Looney, like Juan Toscano Anderson. Like who do you, which team's role players do you think are going to have a bigger impact in this series? It's going to have to be Boston's just because they rely more on their bench. Yeah. I I just think, I'm not. I'm going with history, and I'm going with Golden State. They always seem to, they always seem to come up. I mean, in big moments. That yeah. I mean, they, they they seem to know. I think within their system, they're elevated more. Like I think mm-hmm. Boston's system is made more for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to carry a lot more of the scoring load. But you benefit a lot when guys like Derek White and Grant Williams step up. I think the Warriors system is made for like a role player or two to go off that game. Like, yes, it's baked in that Steph and Clay are going to have their game. But I think within their system is like, it might be Jonathan Kaminga's night. Or it might be Jordan Poole's night. Or it might be Kevon Ludi's night. Like right. Andrew Wiggins, we, you know, is going to be stamped in 19. But I think yeah. within that system, it's like baked in. <laughs> That's still the funniest thing, stamping in Andrew Wiggins for 19. But 19. I actually, I wasn't counting Jordan Poole as a role player, actually. Yeah, I guess he does come off the bench. The way I see it is Boston relies on their role players more. Um, I think Grant Williams and Derek White play a bigger mm-hmm. role on the team and on the team's success than the Warriors do, uh, or the Warriors role players do. But actually, like 
I guess you kind of have to count Jordan Poole as a role player because when you get yeah. your fifth guy, in my mind, mm-hmm. you go like Steph, Draymond, Clay, and Wiggins. Then if you get Wiggins, your fifth yeah. guy, like maybe Jordan Poole is technically a role player. So well, it's, in it's that crazy. sense, maybe. Because you give Andrew Wiggins so so many props. He was an all-star starter. But when you talk about the hierarchy on the Warriors and their big-time players, I think Andrew Wiggins falls in this no-man's land. Because I, I wouldn't consider him – like, he was an all-star starter, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't consider him, like, a big-time – like, one of the big-time impact players on the Warriors. That's that's Stephen Clay right. to me. But he's not a role player. He's definitely bigger on their team than that. So he falls into that. Like he's a third star, but Draymond is that third star. So it's like, where where does Andrew Wiggins really fall in that? So I think to me, almost sometimes in those kind of contexts, forget Andrew Wiggins place on the Warriors. But I think Grant Williams is going to be a huge piece for the Celtics in this series, because there's always an innate sense to try to keep up with the Warriors and the three ball. And if the Celtics are going to do that, it's going to be Grant Williams. It's just yeah. it's going to be Grant Williams and Jason Tatum. That's it. I, I still can't believe he shot twenty in a playoff game. <laughs> Letting that thing fly. Letting that thing fly. All right, it's prediction time. Time to officially put our stamp on who we gonna, who we think is going to win the finals and in how many games. Let's. Um, um, can I say something quickly? Of course. Uh, Golden State is a minus one fifty nine favorite. That is the smallest favorite they have been in the entire Steve Kerr era. Every single series they've played, they were favored. I like it. And this is the smallest fav- like number that they've been favored by. Even the Toronto Every- series. I was going to say even the Toronto series. Everyone thought Durant was coming back and going to be healthy. Yeah. And then right. Clay yeah. got, yeah. I want to throw yeah. something every- into these uh, predictions here. Pick your team, okay. pick your games like usual. Okay. But I also want you to acknowledge an X factor on the other side that could make your prediction wrong. I, I want you to pick Ooh. one from the other team that, that could, could throw a wrench. That could throw that a wrench into your it. prediction. Yep. Okay. Do we need a little second? Because that that that, I'll go first. <laughs> that changes things for me a little bit. I'll go, first. go first. To me, I'm going Warriors in six. I think they're going to take it in Boston in six. Um, and, and to me, it really boils down to what I said. I think maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago, that I don't think a Steph and Draymond-led team are going to let Jason Tatum beat him now at this point in their career. I I think they're too good. They've been there too many times, and I think Jason Tatum's on that rise up, but he's not there yet, and I think the Warriors have been so good this year. You look at the last two years for them, like that is adversity that I actually had to go through for the first time, missing the playoffs back-to-back year. Uh, injuries on top of injuries to come back to this point and be so dominant. I'm going with the Warriors in six, but the X factor on the other side is Jalen Brown. Um, I, in my mind, Jason Tatum's a consistent 30. I'm chalking him in for that for this series. I, I think their team is very good, but if Jalen Brown elevates his game even more than he did in that heat series, and maybe he can still average 24, but be even more efficient on it. Give us big plays on the defensive side of the ball. Cause he's a very capable defender too, a very good mm-hmm. athlete. I think Jalen Brown has a shot to be an X factor for the Celtics to give them that second bump behind Tatum and derail my Warriors in six. Wow. I like that. I like that. All right. I'll go next. Um, I'm a big believer in the Celtics. Been through the whole season. Um, had a very bold take that the winner of the Easter Conference was going to beat the Warriors in the finals. Um, so I'm sticking to that, but I'm, I'm confident in the Celtics. But it's going to have to, they're going to have to do it in seven. Like, they're, they've been tough on the road. They've won games on the road in each series 
um, in the playoffs this the year. The Warriors are nine and zero at home this postseason. Yeah, I'm about to say, but they haven't. But they <laughs> so haven't. The heat. Wait, the wait. So were the Heat. The Heat were like that's seven true. and zero. Yeah, that's true. But but you saw what Miami Stadium looked like in games one and two. Oh, that's and to people, your point, James. That, that's to that's, your that's what I'm saying. I got you. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. But pe- people were just showing up in the second quarter. They ain't playing the Bay in the playoffs yet. <laughs> that's a whole different beast. So it's gonna have to go seven. I have to step up huge. Um on the road. But I think the player or players who could really derail this um, are Draymond and or Kavon Looney. Because I think if they turn up the physicality, get get certain people in foul trouble and control the boards, Boston, I think, stands a little chance if that happens. Boston's got to do all those little things like control the boards, not turn the ball over, not get in foul trouble. And if the Warriors can do that, and I think it'd be Draymond and Kevon Looney on the inside to really get that thing started. If the Warriors can do that, this is it's, it's, as Steph Curry would say, it's night night. It's nice. It's really night night, and it's early. I like that a lot. That's a good point. Um, I think uh, I I got Warriors in six, just like Kyle. I'm not stealing it, I promise. I like <laughs> I, I Boston's lost a lot of games at home. Fun fact, it will only be the second time in NBA history the Celtics have lost in NBA Finals. Sorry, a team other than the Boston Celtics have won the title in Boston. The other one was the 1985 Lakers. Um, Everyone else, when they beat the Celtics in the Finals, finished at home. Um, I think, uh, this is going to sound boring, but I really think Tatum, I think Tatum, if he is the superstar that um, people sometimes prop him up to be, um, he will like you withstand great defense and you score anyway. You saw Kawhi do that. You saw LeBron do that. I'm not saying like he's LeBron, but like that's what you have to do. And mm-hmm. I think I really think Tatum's going to have a very inefficient series, and I think they're going to lose in six. And if I'm wrong, it's because Tatum plays really well and, despite mm-hmm. really good defense, produces. I mean. It, it- the, the, the form coming into this series isn't tremendous for Jason Tatum. Did what we had to do, but it wasn't efficient. It wasn't game-changing, so it's very liable, Matt, that you know he gets bottled up even more. We'll see. But we're all, we all can't wait for the NBA Finals. Um, tips off on Thursday, so our episode will come out the morning of Game 1. So get all the preview, get all the coverage before the coverage, and get all the facts on the NBA Finals because it should be a good one between Boston and Golden State. But all right, for the second uh, segment, we'll move on as we've been doing this reoccurring segment for m- many, many weeks now of getting into our way too early division breakdowns of the NFL because pretty much one team from every division is shaking up the landscape. But we're going to move to the best, or I won't say the best division of football, the division of football that has the best team. How about that one? Uh, the it's NFC the worst South. division in football. Three teams <laughs> right, are going to finish might, under 500. It might be it might be one of those bad divisions in football, but it's it's the NFC South and it's the team that really shook up the the landscape of the division and the NFL landscape, and really as of late has been the New Orleans Saints. Um, the acquisition of Tyron Matthew and the acquisition of Jarvis Landry have been huge, um, but also the draft pick of Chris Olave I think makes their offense very very scary and very interesting if they get adequate quarterback play. Uh, resigning Jameis Winston. Uh, and Traquan Smith, obviously Jameis Winston, is the big one because the Taysom Hill project was clearly a fail. So you need a quarterback. 
and they go back and get Jameis Winston, who had them off to a very good start before he got injured against my Taylor Bay Buccaneers of all uh, of all irony. But before we talk about the entire NFC South, we'll stay on the Saints right now because I know my guy CJ Lindsay is listening with great intent to hear what we mm-hmm. got to say about the Saints, who didn't worry me until they started signing Juice and they picked up Chris Olave, like, and they signed Tyron Matthew. Like now, okay, now you got my attention. I say that New Orleans. Now you definitely got my attention. The New Orleans Saints are going to be the biggest disappointment in the NFL this year. I'm cool. Oh, they're going to go <laughs> six and eleven, seven and ten. People act like because Jameis Winston played seven good games uh, before he got hurt, he's like not a like a turnover prone quarterback. That's li- literally less than half a season. And uh, a quarterback, an all time great quarterback whisperer, retired in Sean Payton. You have Dennis okay. Allen coming in to be their head coach, who okay. was a disaster when he was in Oakland, and he was and he was a, defensive a, a good defensive coach, right? coordinator for yeah. for, the, for New Orleans. But I have no faith that the offensive infrastructure will support Winston when he's so maddeningly, maddeningly just absurdly inconsistent. Just, yeah, just, yeah. just like no, it's, the best throw you'll ever see, and then the next throw will be the worst throw you ever see. And I just think, tr- and I just think that it's going to be a dysfunctional organiz like dysfunctional year, and without a great head coach, it's going to be tough to stem that. And I think they're really going to falter. That's actually a really good point. And, and you came in hot with the they're going to be the biggest disappointment in the NFL, but I don't think many people have really thought about that. Like, everyone's confident in Dennis Allen because he's been there with the Saints. He's tenured. He was alongside Sean Payton for this ride. So he knows the ins and outs of the organization. He knows what's going on. But when you have a new offense like this and a a quarterback who's going to have to put it together, because not only do you get the addition of Chris Olave, but your second best offensive weapon, Mike Thomas, never played with James Winston. Was, Was hurt, but he looked like to me he was pouting on the sideline. So he didn't play with Jameis Winston. And your best offensive weapon, Alvin Kamara, spent a lot of time off the field last year injured for the first time in his career. Didn't play with Jameis Winston a lot. So you're bringing back this offense together at a quarterback who's been known to struggle. He didn't struggle that much last year, but he's been known to struggle. And you're right, Matt. You don't have one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. In fact, you have a defensive-minded coach at the helm now. Who, which to their point, to their defense, works with the best part of their team is their defense, the only reason they kept afloat last season. But it's not a, a guy whose focus is going to be making sure this offense is clicking on all cylinders. It's going to be making sure the defense is. Yeah, I, I agree. But but I think the question the question mark definitely comes in the head coach. You guys are spot on there. Um, and the changes of not having Sean Payton. But I think it's a question mark. It is not necessarily a reason to derail them. Uh, um, cause I do think that this team one got better. Like last year, Taysom Hill was playing quarterback. Mike Thomas didn't play a game and now they bring in Chris Olave. And, and uh, my, there's been one right. rookie receiver that has been great in the past three years has been one. Uh, my money's on Garrett Wilson personally, but second choice would have to be Chris Olave to be honest, to do it this year. Um, and I'm personally a Jameis believer. Uh, I'm looking forward to Jameis being back. I know he's mm-hmm. not going to be the best quarterback in the league, but he can float around average, and that's all this team's going to need. I mean, their defense, like we've been saying, was so good. They only gave up 32 touchdowns all of last year. 
that's under two a game. And I know it's just under, mm-hmm. but that is wildly impressive. I mean, so, so I think you bring in a defensive minded coach and yeah, you're changing up a system. Any team is going to have to adapt to that. But the Boston Celtics just did it and they're in the NBA finals. And I'm not going to say that the Saints are going <laughs> to make some sort of Super Bowl, but I think that the Saints are mm-hmm. going to be still very solid. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to take the division right. personally, even though they do give the Buccaneers a lot of issues in recent time. But I think this Saints team got better. And I think they're going to maybe sneak into a wild card spot and maybe even just cruise into a wild card spot because I really do think this team is like much better than last year and almost did that last year. Right. And, and, and let me double down on being a Jameis believer. Now that he's not on my team, I root for Jameis. But yeah, I mean, watching 30 and 30, like it true, Matt, when you said what one throw is the best throw you've ever seen, next throw is the worst thing you've ever throw you've ever seen. Like that couldn't be more accurate. It literally could not be more accurate on a play to play basis. I don't even need to get this worked up because he's not my quarterback anymore, but it really does get me worked up. Like that's legit what I would watch on a down to down basis. It is awesome. We're good. It is it's, awesome. it's unbelievably it's entertaining. The, the, that 35,000 season was so fun to watch as a neutral. Jameis Winston trifecta, dude. It is so fun to watch. You throw a touchdown to your Go team, on. you throw a touchdown to the other team, and you fumble the ball. <laughs> it, it, it's so dude, entertaining. There's this, there's this one. I'm going to go off on a little tangent a little bit. But there's this one series of plays against the Falcons the end of the season. Remember the year, remember the game Julio Jones had like 250 yards, two touchdowns against us. That I think it was, I think it was that game where Jameis is in the red zone and we have four downs in the red zone to score. It's four down territory. And we throw the ball four times. And the first throw is in the back of the end zone to Cam Bright. And like it, it, he, Jameis Winston, he's like scrambling and he he's kind of points to his left to Cam Bray to motion Cam Bray and then throws it the other direction. Like he tells Cam to go to the left and then throws it to the right and bangs off the bat. And then the next play is like a beautiful read, a beautiful ball that just gets deflected, doesn't get caught. And then the next thing you see where this pattern is going and it, it like it, it really made me want to rip my hair out. It was It was absolutely crazy. But I do say all of this to say that Jameis wasn't this Jameis those seven games last year. He wasn't turning the ball over. Not at not nearly at the rate that he was turning the ball over in Tampa. And if you think about it, if you cut that interception rate just in half, just just take one of every two away, and that goes from a 30-35,000 season to a 30-15-5,000 season, and who knows, and who knows what, where the Buccaneers are, then, and then it becomes a really impressive season. So you take the turnovers away from Jameis Winston and the small sample size that he did last year, take those turnovers away with a revamped offense. Like it, it could be very scary and very electrifying. Like as a Buccaneers fan, it gives me cause to pause because we can't beat them. And Taysom Hill was and Trevor Simeon were their quarterbacks and we couldn't beat them in a regular season. So now (laughs) you, you, you give them actual offensive weapons and the regular season may be the regular season, but then now you have to see them in the playoffs again. Like that's that's you know, that's a that's a different type of team that we've had to deal with that we had to deal with last season. It's a ten win team in my mind. This is a ten win team in my mind. Matt, how many wins did you give them? Six or seven. Mm. I think that's a little tough. That's tough. I think that's a little tough. I forgot they, they always get two. I forgot that they always get two against Tampa, so I might have to revise it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. And here's the thing it's not just a win. Like they don't they don't just beat us. Like we we have 
the worst showing in in the of any team in the season on prime time against them every single time. Yeah, it's like, tough. I, what was that I game? Really six don't... six nothing this year. Oh, that, that was a tough one. Oh, <laughs> just just oh, everything about it. Was, it was, it was just, nine nothing. Yeah, nine nothing. Yeah, yeah. Just everything about it. I don't know what was worse, nine nothing or the year prior, the absolute beatdown we took on Monday night. Like yeah. the, the fifth, I don't know which one was worse, to be honest. They both were terrible to watch. But let's put the Saints in the full scope of the NFC, NFC South and just we'll ask how much they're going to shake up the division. And it may not be an answer because they'll the be top second. Of the division, they'll be yeah, still the seven games. They'll get seven and ten and be second. <laughs> which, which, you know, not too far off what they did last year. But top of the division, the Buccaneers last year, 13-4, and four, lost in the second round to the Super Bowl champions. Um, they got good additions. Shaq Mason, Russell Gage. And then how about yesterday? The signing of Akeem Hicks is huge. Like, we lost in Dominic Sue, and now Akeem Hicks and Vita Vey in the middle is could be just as good as what Dominic Sue and Vita Vey was in the middle. Tom Brady, unretired franchise franchise tag. My guy, Chris Godwin, again. So sorry, CG, but it's business. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Um, new coach. But recently, so sorry. New coach. New, new, and new yeah. coach and Tom Bowles. I got a defensive-minded coach, defensive coordinator elevated to head coach. Bruce. I don't Aries, know if Brady can really perform with a defensive-minded coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't see much changing. That's why sometimes I forget about it because I don't I don't see much changing. Like, yeah, they're they're gonna. Our left wrist is still the offensive coordinator. Top balls is still gonna call the defensive plays. Like, yeah, just, I, he's just head coach now. Yeah, I, I don't think anything changes in terms of head coaching and what this team looks like. I think they're on a revenge tour now. A uh, bit. I, I think Brady unretiring, unfinished business. Even though I never believed he was actually retired, um, this team's gonna come back hungry this year. I, I think coming off of a Super Bowl the year prior. I'm not going to say that they took their foot off the gas, but they didn't look as good last year as they did the year before. And I think this year we're no. going to see a step back to excellence for this team. I think the signing of Russell Gage is incredible. Huge. I, huge. I think Russell Gage is maybe <clears throat> the most underrated wide receiver in the entire league. Like that's like go back and watch some of the highlights, some of the catches he made. The talent well, is incredible. And now he's been in the league and has been a productive receiver and is still getting better. I think Russell Cage is an incredible signing, especially with Godwin probably going to be taking a backseat role, at least to start the season because of the injury. Right, coming off the injury. Yeah. So, so, Um, but even say Godwin gets fully healthy. Oh my goodness. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Russell Gage is very scary with Tom Brady at the helm. And, and, you know, Tom's still trying to work his magic with Gronk, come bring him out of retirement. Who knows what happens? But you remember how great that offense, when it got clicking with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown and, and Gronk, I think Russell Gage fills that slot Antonio Brown third wide receiver role perfectly. Like, might, I think be better. You know, be, might be better. Might be better. I mean, uh, okay, AB at his best. Is, He'll be is, more consistent. AB wasn't consistent. Was he? Well, it'll be a, a younger, spryer, more willing to be coached AB. And, probably, and there might be some rest of the tree that AB didn't want to run. That Russell AB Gage being run. gone is a plus. It's that was such a negative for the Bucks last year. But what when he was when when I don't even want to say when he was quiet because he could still talk, still say some stupid stuff in press conferences. But when he was just focused on football, when he was there, yeah. it clicked, man. For he those was seven huge. plays from scrimmage every game. That nope, AB I mean, was focused on football. Not in the regular season, you know what I mean? But, like, you were in the playoff run, he's big and caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So, he, yeah. he like, you know what I mean? So, 
that role is, is big for the Bucs. But then you trickle down. We talked about the Saints, 9-8, and eight, missed the playoffs. Then you go, and, and the bottom of the NFC South gets really, really tragic. Um, got the you Falcons can skip the Panthers. Them, the Panthers did nothing. Missed, missed the playoffs, <laughs> and the, the Panthers, 5-12. and 12. Sad, sad, missed the playoffs. Started hot. So oh remember, they were part of our impressive 3-0 and teams <laughs> last year. And then just, just an absolute collapse. But the Falcons are a little bit interesting. Uh, you get yeah. Marcus Mariota. You draft Drake London, who you know everyone's really high of. You acquire Casey Hilbert, also draft Desmond Ritter. You re-sign Cordero Patterson, who one of the the most invaluable pieces in the NFL to me. And then Young Way Koo, who you know a very solid kicker, great in kicker. the NFL. So yeah, a great kicker in the NFL. So the Falcons are interesting because they could overachieve a little bit. Because who knows if Marcus Mariota has a little revival if Desmond Ritter is a little bit successful. Or they can be right back where they are in five, six, seven win team, and I don't think anyone would be surprised either way. Yeah, we'll see. They're, yeah, they're, I, they're just they're doing a rebuild. They got rid of their the greatest player in the history of the franchise and Matt Ryan, and he um and they got it and they got picks for him and they're it's whether they use those picks well and whether their picks pan out in the next two drafts to see if they can rebuild because Marriott is clearly just a placeholder quarterback. Everyone knows yeah. that, and I think mm-hmm. the record probably stays roughly the same: uh, six and eleven, five and twelve, something like that. Because they're they're definitely they're a team that finally bit the bullet and said, "Okay, we're, we got to rebuild. Let's do it." So they're doing the right thing. Yeah, they're just going to so, not be good next year. Right. So we're saying the balance of power in the NFC South, in, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't change. Bucks, Saints, Falcons. Panthers. I think the for the, the division the Panthers can be a little closer than we think. I don't yeah, think the Falcons, see, like like the for Panthers the, can jump over. for the division. I think we saw the two at the top get slightly closer. I still give the edge to the Buccaneers. I still think they're going to win the division, but I think the Saints got better, and then I think the Panthers are going to be just as bad, and the Falcons are going to be slightly worse. So I think in terms of you know going down the list, one, two, three, four, it's the same. But, but I think in the scheme of the NFC now, you have the Saints becoming a more legit contender and the Falcons are just going to be like what we've seen out of the Washington football team in the last five years to where they're going to hey, knock off Washington the team in the regular Commanders. season. Washington Commanders. Well, they've been three different teams in the last five years. So I'm just stick <laughs> to Washington. Been three different teams yeah. in the last five years. That is insane. But I um, think that's where the Falcons go to. Like they're a team that you know they can knock a team off in the regular season, but we're no longer worried about them in the scheme of the NFC East or the NFC. Here's the thing: like the the Saints, they got better. I have to give them props. They're building, they're, they're rebuilding or retooling a really good football team. Answer me this though: Is this team better than the than the Drew Brees team that we beat in the second round in the divisional round? No, no, but it's 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 back to a team that can get to the second round. But is it but cool? But are they are they better than that? Because if they're not better than that team, they don't. They, ultimately, they don't scare me because my team is pretty much the same. Yeah, I have the same leaders. Yeah, they the should scare you because they could ruin your one seed because they'll beat you twice in the regular mm. season. That's no, we won scary. a Super Bowl. We weren't. We won a Super Bowl. We weren't the one seed. We won a Super Bowl. Go through and go go on the road. Yeah, I know. well, you went on the road when there were no the, ends on the road. And the last, are, here we go. I think anyway, the Saints we team, travel. What a game in Green Bay! I think the Saints team can be just as good as that team, personally. Now that that Saints I mean, team I, was an unbelievable team, but their quarterback's arm for just 
broke down, so that's why they yeah. played and, poorly. But and that but and that's so, not but the offense just, is gonna run completely differently. Than yeah, I think it's Jameis is down the field. Drew Brees isn't down that that field. team was a Super Bowl contender. This team isn't close to one. Their best case scenario is they like might win a playoff game, but they have no shot of doing anything like any deep run. It's going to be interesting to see because you guys are, I, I don't want to say directly opposite, but because Matt, you're not saying they're the worst team in the league, Kyle. You're not saying they're the best team in the league. But. Overall, Matt is more right than I am on paper, and I'll admit that. But the, the knock there is that it's just because of the quarterback position. You need a quarterback in this league to win. I, I think around him, this is a very good team. So if Jameis steps up, I think they could be just as good as that Drew Brees team was, but it's, not it's- a contender. It's one of those teams to me that if Jameis doesn't lose them the game, multiple games this season, that could be a good they're, team. They're yeah, they're they're in a playoff team. How about the Indianapolis Colts, man? Like you put a good team around, and all Carson got to do is beat the Jags. All he got to do is not lose the season, yeah. and we're in the playoffs. It's it's a very similar and, situation. And how about the Mi- Minnesota Vikings in an NFC Championship four years ago with a just quarterback that needs to be competent? I mean, yeah, there's there's, there's teams, examples of this. We've seen a lot of teams drag mediocre quarterbacks you know, far and beyond to what they should. The Saints could be the latest. But that that wraps up our <laughs> NFC South talk. We'll get to the rest of the divisions as we keep moving on and just that much closer to the NFL season. We're inside of 100 days, right? It's like, not, like 90, at this point, 96, 97, this, something like that. This so. year is moving quick, quick dude. I literally yeah. took a stop today at work. Like, whoa, it's June it's 1st. June. <laughs> the year is half done. The year is about to be half done. Crazy. A little... A little nasty, but that's all time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one, as always. We can get some shots up at the buzzer. Kyle, you got a shot for me, man. You nodded intently I, like you got a shot for me. I got a shot, and I'm just going to preface the shot at the buzzer with do what makes you happy. And for me, that like comes that. in the form is that I'm no longer watching the Philadelphia Phillies. I, I'm yeah, yeah. done watching oh this team. I, you know how many games I've watched this year? I, I don't know how many we've played. But I've watched maybe 48, like 35 to 40 Phillies games this year. Like really? way too many. Games, yeah. yeah, yeah, way too yeah. many. You have the fourth highest payroll in the league. And Stop. if you look at just the 26-man active roster, it's actually the second highest because there's other teams Stop. above you that have people on the injured reserves. And Stop. every team around you in the top five payroll is a 60% win rate or better. The Phillies have won 42% of their games, and they look terrible. Their only form of consistency is Gene Segura, who's now out three months. So I told to myself today. weeks he's out now. Huh. Yeah, I told myself today. I'm not watching a game in June. Catch me in July, tuning back into the fills, but I'm officially out. Self-care. At the end of the day, that's called self-care. Yeah, what I you take care of your mental. I'm at the <laughs> point where I don't even – I'm so – like nor like the Phillies being completely disappointing and losing is like the normal. So when it happens, I don't even get upset. I like do. I watched I I had the game on last night <laughs> against uh, San Fran, so and bad. it was like, oh, we had bases with nobody out, a oh, double play. Uh, that's uh, and then it's, it's just like, oh, well, we yeah, lost first yeah, base open, first base open in extra innings. Jock yeah. Peterson up to bat. We yeah, don't walk it, him. We don't like, walk him. We're if if they win, fun. We if lost they lose, it to the moon too. We're, we're just a pathetic organization. And and, and what's crazy And we've got is, to accept that. We're what, not going to... Oh, medi- if you mediocrity is where we live from now. it, you're not going to get it. Mediocrity is where we live now. That's that's the state of the Phillies for sure. Um, I actually was at last night's or Tuesday night's game, I'll say, um, the 11th inning loss to the Giants, which marked the third straight game, third straight loss in 10 or more innings 
for the Phillies against the same team, their old manager, Gabe Kapler. It just all hurts so much. But seeing it live, have you guys got? Have you guys been to a Phillies game this year yet? I've been no, to one. Really? I've been to one yeah. so far. Kyle, it'll be my only one, one now. I was yeah, playing I was to say, one, one of you are <laughs> done. I'm only going to another one because me and my friends have already bought tickets to be like the the big group game that we go to on the 11th. That might be the last one because seeing it in person is really dejecting. Like it's it's truly like like there's no life in the stadium. Like I can't like why are we here? What are we doing? What are we watching? Like this team is supposed to be so much better than it is. And for those who don't really really know the game of baseball, it's not like football. It's not like basketball where each the possessions are fluid and there's opportunities that present themselves on a possession, possession, plate appearance, you know, by plate appearance. You have to seize opportunities when they come in baseball. They come, they don't come every inning. They don't come every at bat. And the Phillies are so great at just not taking yeah. advantage of any opportunity. Like they they will give you bright spots when it don't matter. Gino give you a double with nobody on. We'll score right, no, we'll score eight runs in games that we give up eleven. Like, like, like we'll, we'll hit beautiful. In those games. But but you got a chance tied. 2-2, two, two, runners on second and third, nobody out, and I don't get anybody in. Like, those are the opportunities that losing baseball teams don't take advantage of, and the Phillies do that every single time, man. Every yeah. single time. It's, it's it's Yo, it's so maddening. Yeah. It's actually the only time I feel y'all in the whole Philly sports thing. Like, for I, some feel, reason, I feel like I'm, I'm right in it. For some reason, no doable super clutch, though, which has been fun to watch, but that's it. Just, I'm done. I'm done for the month. We, which makes you like question your morals as a person. Like when you're like, like I got to root for a duple to, to carry my team through a storm. <laughs> like, like what am I doing now? What if, what if the Phillies subjected me to Matt, you got a shot for me at the buzzer. I just want to eulogize uh Liverpool football club. It was a, okay. it was, it was a tough loss in the champions league final on Saturday. Mm. When you outplay a team, the entirety of the game and you still lose. That's not me being denial. They had twenty. They had like eleven shots on goal to Real Madrid's four. So like it was Liverpool dominated the game. Shout out to Timo Courtois, the goalie for yeah, Real Madrid. Courtois went crazy. He, he was nuts. Um, yeah. And it's it's just really upsetting. Like when you play sixty three games in a season and you only lose four, and you don't get either of the two big trophies. You get the two consolation trophies, which is still nice, yes. but it it made me realize. The positives I learned that I actually really am a fan of Liverpool, mm-hmm. which is really fun. I love the team. I love the manager. I love the managers like Motto. I love that they had a parade um, on Monday to celebrate the two trophies they did win. Um, and eh, I don't love. I don't love that part. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I don't no, love no. that part. It's the, still the two par- big trophies. The parade was already scheduled beforehand, and there was also to celebrate the women. Women's team getting promoted. So okay. it's like three celebrate, celebrate an achievement, but Kyle, the loser in the finals, not gonna have a parade. <laughs> no, you got the <laughs> you know for the two trophies we won. Yeah, they won two other trophies. So yeah, they, oh, they, won, okay, they yeah. won the FA Cup oh, and the right, Carabao right. Cup. Yeah, right, right, right. The FA yeah. Cup's big. The FA yeah, Cup's and they big. never they got a parade right. when they won the Premier League because of COVID. So it's kind of like right. the fans got to. Yeah. And is you and you learn how much of a fan you are when you have a tough loss and it just eats at you. And then you wake up the next day and it's still eating at you. It's like, oh, I actually really am a fan. And You're it's really nice invested. to have that because it is it's it's I'm I'm glad I have that. Because I feel like I've fallen off that a little bit with other sports, but I'm glad I found it with Liverpool. 
I'm, I'm glad you take a little bit of like, like the, you find comfort in the gut wrenching feeling of defeat. It's a little, <laughs> little melodramatic. I feel that. that. I feel but that with the Eagles. The, I, I feel you, that. You and, and my only minority owner, LeBron James, are really feeling an early morning um, a loss today. But I don't know, Tebow Cortell, the only thing I really saw is he said something crazy where he's like, you know, Real Madrid doesn't lose in the Champions League. And that as a Barca fan made my eye twitch because, you know, I still don't really want to root for them, but shout out to them. But good, a good Champions League. They have final, fourteen right? Champions Leagues. The next closest is seven. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. That that is that is pretty nuts. Um, all I have to say at the buzzer is um, I was pretty pretty honored um, that you know I work at part time at, at Dick's Sporting Goods in, in King Impression Mall, and, and my store manager asked me if I would be on the diversity and inclusion group for Dick's Sporting Goods, and um, for those out there, you know, don't know, every company in America has a diversity inclusion group. Every single one. You can go, whoever's listening, go to your HR department tomorrow and ask about the diversity inclusion group. I guarantee you have one. So a lot of people, a lot of, you know, people view big corporations as just having like a face in the game and, um, you know, just doing because they have to. A lot of them establish it in responses to what happened to George Floyd and other tragic events. Um, but. You know, I was I was encouraged. I went to the first meeting of the diversity inclusion group. We had a little luncheon. I was just really encouraged by what Dick Sporting Goods, like at least my group, wants to do with that club. Um, you know, I'm 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 very big. I'm very active when it comes to social issues like that. Um, so just something you know, I wanted to share that something happened in my life this week that was pretty cool. Nothing earth shattering, nothing groundbreaking, but um, I guess people can notice the passion I have for these kind of things and make it real tangible. Um, so I enjoy having those conversations. I enjoy trying to improve the spaces that I'm in, the spaces that I'm connected to. And, you know, you spend an ungodly amount of time at work. That's a different issue America got to address, <laughs> but you spend an ungodly amount of time at work. So I want to make sure that that place is the best place possible. And, and I'm honored that someone nominated me to, you know, help make sure that happens from a diversity standpoint. So that's cool from DSG. You guys know how big I am on that. So, you know. Go diversity, man. We all we want everybody yep. to be including when everybody that's to, great. to prosper. Out that's here. awesome. But but that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one, man. We got some great conversation and uh great preview of finals talk. Also a great to uh, talk about the NFC South. So shout out our guy Jake Galley, who's out there just elevating himself in his role in his new job. So we're proud of him for that. Also, shout out everyone in the up on game network, Lavar Arrington, Plexico Burris, TJ Hushmanzada. And shout out to my guys, Kyle Sirik and Stat Matt Robinson. As always, it's been a blast. I'm James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up.